Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Outcomes Rocket listeners, welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket, where we chat with today's most inspiring and successful healthcare leaders. Really want to thank you for tuning in again. And uh, hey, if you like what you hear today or in general, I want to ask you to just give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Just go to outcomesrocket.com slash reviews, and you'll be able to rate and review the show and give us some feedback. And even if you didn't like it, which I'm sure that won't happen with today's guest. Let us know (laughs) and we'll make sure that we make it better. Uh, We want to make sure that this show adds value to you. So please and thank you. Without further ado, I want to introduce our outstanding guest. His name is Drex DeFord. He's an independent healthcare IT consultant, but he has a long list of achievements in healthcare. He's been the chief information officer at various institutions, including Seattle Children's, at Scripps Health, and a long list of other things that he's done, even in the Air Force. So what I want to do is just open up the microphone to Drex and have him round out that introduction. Drex, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Saul. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's a tell, pleasure to have you. Tell you a little bit about myself. Is that, is that the yes. question? Sure, I'll try to do the short version as much as I possibly can. I'm a farm kid from Indiana, didn't have money to go to college. Uh, wound up joining the Air Force as an enlisted guy, went to school at night, finished my degree, and sort of wound up weirdly in the right place at the right time. Became a CIO at a small hospital in one of our regions. Then one of our medical centers was the chief technology officer for Air Force Health in D.C. for worldwide operations before I retired after an accidental sort of 20-year career, and then um, was recruited to Seattle Children's, no, nope, sorry, to Scripps Health. See, there's so many of these things, I can't even keep track of myself. <laughs> but, but I went to Scripps and was there for a few years, was recruited to Seattle Children's to be the CIO of both the hospital and the research institute and Stewart Healthcare in Boston. And I did a startup with a friend of mine. And about two and a half years ago, I out my own shingle and, and have been lucky enough to be able to work on the things I I really want to work on and that I'm good at and not work on the things that I don't want to work on and that I'm not good at. And so it's been fun. I'm really very, very lucky. No, that's great, Drex. I, I you know, had an opportunity, um, folks, I had an opportunity to meet Drex at a health IT meeting and, and struck up a conversation. And I was just really moved by some of the thoughts and, and things that Drex was doing. And I just said, Drex, you have to be on the show. The listeners will get a lot from having you on. So uh, really glad we were able to put it together. Drex, what would you say a hot topic you feel should be on every medical leader's agenda? And how are you addressing it with your clients? Yeah, a hot topic. Well, you know, I'm lucky enough now, I do get to speak at a lot of conferences and do some some things like that. And when I do that, and when I engage with any of my clients, I really talk about building an organization culture that kind of has the ability to bend and flex and change and 
be innovative, you know, ultimately building an organization that can take advantage of and thrive in the new model of healthcare. Because I'm, I see a healthcare storm coming. We're moving from fee-for-service to value-based care, and that's going to happen without a doubt. We have healthcare organizations, certainly, that are stuck in the fee-for-service side of the fence, and they've built a whole culture around this model, and they're taking their sweet time making the change, and I, I totally get it. I mean, change sucks. It's not fun. But, you know, in my opinion, it's time to embrace the suck, you know, as we say in the military. And, <laughs> and change means figuring out what what's going to work and, you know, what will work, what won't work. And you're not going to do that overnight to move to this new model. So I'm always a, a big proponent of sort of start now, build a culture that allows for failure and iteration, learning fast and uh, taking advantage of the opportunities that are ultimately going to reveal themselves during and after this storm. Because I think when the storm is over, there's going to be a lot of fire sales. And I can almost guarantee you that you're not going to want to be on the wrong side of that M&A. So yeah, I think cultural changes, being flexible, that's kind of the key to the operation. Drex, I I think that's such a great highlight there. And I've been a part of great cultures. And I've also been a part of not so great work cultures. For the leaders listening to your words of wisdom here, what would you say, in a nutshell, is the key to creating an agile, amazing culture? Yeah, there's there's really a bunch of things that go into this. Um, I also, one of the things I talk about regularly is this idea that everything is connected to everything else. And so trying to change one thing and thinking that if I just do this one thing, then everything else is going to fall into place may not be true. But there are things that if you focus on, I think you can be more successful. And that's really things like relentless prioritization, right? We have 100 things going on in any healthcare organization or vendor or startup or VC firm today. You know, there's 100 things going on. And you have to focus, you have to prioritize. And that means that sometimes that the things that are below the line, the things you choose not to prioritize or focus on, that doesn't mean those things are bad ideas or things that you shouldn't do. It's just that you have to realize that you only have so much energy and you have to focus on the things you need to focus on. I think for health systems, a lot of this too is driving hard on analytics and continuing to focus on security because we're definitely in that world now where you just can't afford to have that kind of a stumble or that kind of a problem. So you have to focus on security. And then innovation is a big part of it. And innovation is one of those words that means almost anything that anybody wants it to mean. So for me, a lot of innovation is, uh, I have a big background in Toyota production systems and lean methodologies. Uh, I was lucky enough, again, to be at Seattle Children's, a very uh, organization that's very sort of focused on that. I, I lived three and a half years in Japan. I was able to go back and spend time with Yamaha Piano and Toyota and, and others Direct, uh, you're like in the, Japan. You're like the specifically of healthcare. healthcare. I, <laughs> I might be. How I many times be. did you make it I to might. the White House? <laughs> <laughs> only once and only as a tourist, oddly enough. Oh, uh, okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's that kind of stuff. You know, there are a lot of components in this, but, you know, and, and I would say the bottom line probably of all of this is that you have to reorient your organization as much as anything else to focus on the patient. And there are a lot of healthcare organizations who talk about that today. The patient is our customer, but saying the patient is your customer and actually acting like the patient is your customer all the time is a huge difference. That's a, that's a, it's a, a great call out, Drex. That's a big, yeah. big call out. And I think for everybody listening, you know, our, how, what are you doing to make your 
patient, your customer. And I think right now, Drex, uh, in this healthcare consumerism, I guess is the key word, but you know, rising deductibles, the patient is starting to be more cognizant of where they spend their money and what they spend their money for. And I think this is, is pushing our, our uh, healthcare providers to be a little more cognizant of tailoring their services in a way that makes the patient the consumer. Oh, yeah. No, I, I think so, too. And I, I think the other thing is, and we may talk about this more in just a little bit, but this idea that especially from information service department's perspective, the customer is not the doctor or the nurse or lab or radiology or pharmacy or whatever the case may be. Those pieces of the organization and the IS department have to be partners in the provision of great care to our customers, the patients and family. And that every place that I've gone into when I've brought that attitude to the organization. And so so I'm, I'm kind of a change guy. I mean, I've been a change guy my whole career. And unfortunately, every place that I've been invited into as a chief information officer has been specifically to make change. Things weren't going well, and that's why the position was opened. And, you know, that's why I was hired. And so when you come into it with that attitude, you really sort of change the whole game for everybody, right? Doctors and nurses and lab and rad and everyone else start to understand that you're not there to, when they say jump, say how high. You're there to, when they say jump, say, well, let's talk about jump and what that means and what do you really need? And, you know, I want to make sure I have your back in all of this. And building that partnership makes can make all the difference in the world. That's a great point. Drex, you know, you've had a really fruitful career and through the ebbs and flows, you've taken some opportunities to turn around uh, bad situations. Can you give the listeners an example of what you did in one particular situation that helped improve outcomes or help turn the ship in the right direction? Sure. I, I spend uh, not a lot of time, but I spend some time thinking about mistakes that I've made. And there's a bunch of them, right? I mean, I, I don't think you get to do all the different stuff that I've been able to do. And hopefully, as well as I've been able to do it, without sort of uh, sometimes falling down. And But the important part of that is really getting back up, right? So the yes. problem isn't usually making a mistake. It's usually recognizing that there's been a mistake and then admitting it and doing something about it. So, you know, if there was one that I was going to really sort of pull out here and talk about, it's kind of tied to the last part of the conversation. It was uh, 2008. It's probably not long after I arrived at Seattle Children's. We had this really tragic patient incident that led to an accident, accidental medication overdose for a patient. And the nurse had made a calculation error. And, uh, you know, the patient was very sick anyway. And all of this sort of combined together to, uh, uh, to cause the patient to pass away. And, um, mm-hmm. Everyone was crushed. I mean, the family, of course, sure. the family first and foremost. But when it came to the hospital, everyone in the hospital family was also crushed after this had happened, and the nurse especially. And I don't think people really understand until they live through it. When a clinician makes an unintentional error and it harms the patient, they carry that with them for the rest of their lives. It's really yes. a terrible burden. And so at Children's, we brought everybody into the auditorium, and it was kind of one group after another for several days in a row and on every different shift. And we asked a really simple question, what can we do to keep this from ever happening again? And we got lots of different responses, all sorts of feedback on the way that the system, and I don't mean the computer system, I mean the capital S system, was broken or had a problem. And for my part as a CIO, I kept hearing about 
And I was looking for consistent patterns, places where maybe we were making a mistake or there was there was a challenge. And a lot of it was around slow PCs and logging onto computers. And sometimes I just go by what I remember because it's hard hard to get PCs to boot up sometimes. It takes a long time and all of that. Very generalizable complaint. And I realized through all that, and this is really the lesson, and it's a mistake that I had made for much of my career, uh, going back to this idea that information service shops and healthcare organizations are just a service and support department. And as I said earlier, we're way more than that. We're partners with our clinicians in the delivery of great care to our patients and families. We're not something separate. Seriously, I think we are part of the delivery care team. And rightfully so, our teammates expect us to have their backs when the going gets tough. And if we do this right, they'll have our backs too. And so back to the Seattle Children's story, the slow PCs were impacting patient care and patient safety, and they were really just sort of another clinician obstacle to getting the right thing done for the patients and families. So I kind of decided at that point, we have to get out of the PC business, which sounded like a ridiculous idea, but we've been doing a virtual desktop infrastructure pilot inside the department, and this was 2009, so hardly anybody was really doing VDI in healthcare. And I sat down with my CPO, a guy by the name of Wes Wright, who's now the CPO at Sutter, and I said, dude, we just have to get out of the PC business somehow. And so we did. It was a massive effort. We had the backing of the CEO. We had partnerships with a lot of great companies like Citrix and ExtraHop. We pulled almost all the PCs out of production and replaced them with zero clients and virtual desktops. It kind of followed clinicians around everywhere that they went. They booted up in just a few seconds. They could take their desktop, I mean, literally just virtually take their desktop home with them and run them on their own PCs or their own Macs at home. And it went a long way toward convincing everyone on the team that the IS department was a partner in the provision of great care to our patients and families, not just a service provider. So every piece of work that I do now with CIOs and vendors and startups and investors now includes that very simple point that you made earlier. How is what you do adding to the value of the larger team? How is it making care delivery you know, better, faster, cheaper, safer, easier to access? patients and families, our customers. And the other part of that is, how are you being the kind of partner that everybody wants on their team? Because that's a big part of it too. So yeah, mistakes, as they say, mistakes have made a few, but it's kind of how do you, how do you recover from those when they happen? That's, that's uh, Drex, that's such an amazing story. And, uh, you know, it sounds like you guys definitely shifted in a big way. You didn't just take an incremental step here. You shifted in a big way that was thoughtful. You didn't just innovate, you listened, which is the number one thing that I think led to you guys making an impact that actually mattered. You listened and I really admire that about you. Even when we were at the conference, I mean, you are such a great listener. And so you took that and you applied it at mass scale and you got out of the PC business and made it so much easier. You became a partner instead of getting in the way of clinicians. And I think that's so cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, sure. No problem. No, I think the listening, you know, listening is a a key part of it. It would be easy for me to say I'm working on a book with a friend, but I'm working on the very early stages of sort of scratching our head about how would we write a book about this, but listening as a part of the concept of empathy as a leader and as a teammate is a huge deal. Empathy is, um, in many ways, empathy is just the key to everything. You have to, whether it's 
your enemy or it's uh, one of your teammates. You have to understand where they're coming from and what they think and what they need. And if you get that, then you're way more likely to put together a plan, whatever it is. And I am really lucky. This thing at Seattle Children's was kind of a big evolutionary change, maybe not evolutionary, maybe intentionally innovative change to bring better service to my teammates and ultimately to the patients and families. But most of the time, those mistakes and those changes are little tiny iterative innovations that make things just a little bit better, maybe almost unnoticeable. But the idea is that that you build that culture that sort of continues to promote that it's okay if we make mistakes, we'll figure it out and we'll go from there. And everything that we're doing, we're not doing perfectly. There are mistakes built into it. Our goal in life should be to find those mistakes and make them less of a mistake or eliminate them in the process. And, and again, if you can do that with empathy in mind, you are much more likely to be successful. That's a great message, Drex. And, you know, I, I think I'm excited for this book when it comes out. Let us know when it does. <laughs> we'll, we'll see if it ever actually turns into a book, but it may turn into a series of blog posts or I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen. Which would be cool too. And a little bit later here, we'll be able to share your, your website with the listeners so that they could tap into some of the blog posts that you do. Drex is definitely uh, an amazing contributor, not only to his clients, but also to the health space as a thought leader. So definitely make sure to check out his his info here. Uh, we'll, we'll provide it to you soon. Drex, not to get in the weeds, but you know, we had some changes recently with, you know, the executive order of Trump. You know, what are your thoughts on all that? You know, as we dive into this, how do you think that's going to impact healthcare? That's a really good kind of set of questions, and we could probably spend the whole day talking about those. But I go back to this idea of flexibility and creating an organization that's able to take advantage of whatever might happen to uh, kind of tear up the old Marine Corps saying, Semper Fi. I used to tell my teams, and I tell my teams today, Semper Gumby, right? You know, always flexible. I don't know what that means. Ultimately, I know that there's a lot of change. I know that there are things that health systems may have been counting on to happen that may or may not happen today. But I think it's pretty clear to me, we are running downhill toward value-based care and that's going to happen, right? So no matter how you slice it, whether it's a single government payer or it's a model like we have today with a a lot of payers, including the government, they're going to move toward value-based care. So the best thing you can do is to keep your eye on that ball. It's going to happen. How do you go through this process of working with your clinical partners and your payer partners and everyone else that's involved in the healthcare industry? How do you go through this process of making that transition and doing it in a way that makes sense for you and makes sense for your market, makes sense for your patients and families? If you focus on that, I think the other stuff, you know, regulation here, regulation there, you'll figure that out. Don't stop and dig in your heels and fee for service and say, I'm not going to do anything until they figure this out. Because I can tell you, this is going to be a really bumpy ride. And by the time they figure it out, you better already be down the road or you're going to be on the wrong side of that m and issue that I talked about earlier. <laughs> no, I love it, Drex. And I appreciate you, you answering that. You know, friends, we have to make sure that we are not distracted by the noise. 
And the things that happen in the news and insure policy, it's noise. But I think Drex has, has highlighted for us that where the puck is going is value-based care. And if you stay focused on that, laser focused, you're going to get an outstanding performing culture that is in it for the long haul. Drex, what's a proudest, one of the proudest medical leadership moments that you've experienced to date? Wow. I would say that's a tough one too. Um, You know, I'd say, I think probably, I don't know that it's a particular time or event, but it's probably more the people, the teammates that I've worked with over the years, the folks that I've coached and mentored, but many of them have coached and mentored me right back. So that's great. I've been lucky enough to find really smart people who want to do that, do the right thing. And that really is kind of, you know, solving hard problems. Uh, I've been able to mentor some really great folks who've gone on to be amazing CIOs and CTOs, folks like Patrick Thomas, who recently retired as a CIO at Scripps, and Julie Berry, who replaced me as CIO at Steward. And uh, of course, I can't forget Wes Wright, who was with me in the Air Force and at Scripps Health and at Seattle Children's. And I'm proud to have been mentored by some really great people like Ivo Nelson, who most people probably know as the founder of both HealthLink and Encore Health Resources, but he gave me my first shot as a CEO. And then guys like Ralph Delatore, the CEO at Stewart, who has, has a whole different radical way of looking at healthcare, and that has proven to become the new model of healthcare. So from a personal career standpoint, I would say the things I'm most proud of are probably my time as the CHIME chair, uh, the College Healthcare Information Management Executives Chair. It was a great learning experience for me. Again, surrounded by a bunch of other great CIOs and a great staff led by Rich Carell and Keith Bradenberg. People like that around you, it's pretty easy to make good things happen. We hired Russ Branzell, the CEO of CHIME during that, uh, during that time period too, and that's proven to have a positive, long-lasting effect on the college. Oh, and now I'm, um, I'm, the, I'm a board member at Synergistic, which is a best-in-class healthcare security consulting firm with great leaders like Mac McMillan and David Finn just joined us. And back in February, see, this is another one of those things where you just scratch your head and go, I don't know why these things happen to me or how they happen, but they <laughs> happen. So back, back in February, we rang the closing bell on the New York Stock Exchange. And that was just a crazy... Awesome moment to experience. So a lot of good stuff has happened to me throughout my career. And I'm a very lucky guy. And I don't know, I wake up every day and kind of just go, you know, uh, today's the day they're going to find out I'm really just a farm kid from Indiana. You know? That's awesome. No, Drex, I, I love it. And, you know, the message, friends, is you are the average of your five closest peers. And if uh, you still- yeah, yeah. Yeah, you agree with that, right, Drex? You surround yourself yeah, with amazing I, people, you're going to do amazing things. If you surround yourself with bad people, you're going to do bad things. And so, Drex, you've been surrounding yourself with amazing people. You're an amazing person, and you just continue making things happen in healthcare. And I think that's a strong message. Tell us about an exciting project or focus that you're working on today. Yeah, thanks. I'm kind of all over the place. I work with health systems and vendors and startups and investors, and it's all pretty exciting. But if I, I guess if I was going to pick out one thing right now that could turn out to be a very big deal, I'm doing a product development effort with a major healthcare IDN that's uh, known for innovation and one of their vendor integration partners. And I can't provide a lot of details, unfortunately, because we're kind of in the early stages of it and under NDA. But if we figure out how to create this product in the right way, and if we can do it at the right price point, I think it could kind of radically change the way healthcare organizations deliver services to clinicians, 
eliminate distractions, improve workflow, getting technology out of the way. Getting technology out of the way is a huge deal that I've kind of discovered over the course of my career. And uh, in the hospitals and clinics where we've piloted and clinicians have fallen in love with it. And I guess most of all, I would say, you know, it's not just a technology solution. It's a workflow-driven solution that's enabled by great tech. So I'm in the early stages right now of doing the tell me why this is a stupid idea uh, discussions with healthcare execs across the country. And so, uh, so I'll be hitting probably Southern California and Dallas uh, during the end of the year. And if it all plays out, I'll be able to tell you a lot more about it in 2018. Ah, way to put a hook in. I love it. <laughs> Keep up with your blog to make sure that uh, I know what's going on. But this is, uh, it sounds exciting. So, and if you're It'll behind be a Drex, I'm sure that, that there's something there. So really appreciate you sharing that. Let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine today. That's the Mm -hmm. one-on-one course or the ABCs of Drex DeFord. And so we're going to write out a syllabus, four questions. It's going to be a lightning round. Then we'll finish up with a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? Okay, I'm ready. Awesome. What is the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Uh, Yeah, that that one's easy. Um, We've already talked about it. Remember, always that customers, the patient, family, it's easy to lose that truth, air quotes truth, in the complex and chaotic healthcare environment that we've built. But that's, that's true north for all the other stuff that we do in our industry. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? I would go back to prioritization. You have to focus your energy on a limited number of things if you really want your organization to make a difference. And if you can't do that, then it's hard to understand what you really stand for. You have to focus. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? (laughs) Yeah, I talked about this earlier too. Embrace the suck, okay? Change hurts. It's no fun. We don't like it as humans. I actually, I did write a blog post about a year ago about healthcare's antibodies to change and how we seem to have people who have as an additional physician description, stop all things from changing and they come out of the woodwork when you have a new idea and they they just attack it in your organization you have to get rid of those people you have to embrace the suck you have to create that organization that's nimble and agile and and ready to take advantage of opportunities as they arise one of the quotes i use all the time is from darwin and i it's actually not from darwin i always say that darwin is misquoted it's not the strong who survive it's those who can change the quickest Right. So in today's environment, it's not the big fish eat the small fish. It's the fast fish eat the slow fish. So don't be a slow fish. Love it. Embrace the suck. And what Embrace is one? Suck. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to put that in a quote right here in my, in my recording booth. Thanks, Drex. <laughs> you made the booth wall. <laughs> what, what's one area of focus that should drive all else in the company? In my company. And remember, I'm I'm really a solo independent consultant, so it's just me. But for me, it's about working on hard problems, number one. Number two, that make a difference to patients and families. And number three, working with people that I like or people that I think are smart and that I can learn from. And so, I mean, that's for me, those are kind of the three things that that help drive me for for different people. And and those are pretty broad. So there's a lot of things that can wind up fitting into those arrangements. But that's what works for me. And finally, Drex, what book would you recommend to the listeners? So now I read a lot more than I ever have before. So can I give you a couple? Actually, absolutely. Give us a couple. Okay. So I would say Jay Samet's book, Disrupt You, 
there's a whole pack of great ideas in that book and it's a pretty easy read and you'll put new stuff from the book to work every day, even as you read the book. So Jay Sammons Disrupt You. And then I had a, um, there's another really good book called Give and Take, Why Helping Others Drives Our Success by Adam Grant. And this was a book that was a friend of mine, Jeremy Schlack, who's the CEO of Blue Tree. He's become a good friend over the last couple of years. He actually gifted that book to me at one point after an early conversation. And in a nutshell, it says that giving away your time to others is just good karma. And in the end, you get it, you get back way more than you give. And the universe has a way of balancing itself. So I really like that book too. And then um, I'm also in the process of reading, just finishing now, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F by Mark Manson. Um, I've heard of that book. It's actually a good book. It's a quick, fun read. Kind of drives home the point that you only have so much energy, so you have to relentlessly prioritize and all of that. For me, a lot of it was just reinforcing the way that I kind of go through life anyway, but it's good to have that reaffirmation sometimes. But those are the three. I really like, I like those. There's a lot of, a lot of great books out there, but those are the three that I would. There's the, there's the top three. So Listeners, we have an amazing syllabus here put together for you with three amazing books. Go to outcomesrocket.com slash Drex, and you'll be able to find that syllabus as well as the show notes for the things that we discussed with Drex. And, and so don't worry about writing any of this stuff down. All the links will be there. Drex, before we conclude, please share a closing thought with the listeners and then the best place where they could get in touch with you, including your, your blog site that we've talked about. Yeah, you know, so my blog site is really, I'm not nearly as good at this as I probably should be. So the blog stuff that I write usually is on LinkedIn. Oh, okay, um, cool. You know, so you can you can publish stuff there now. And I don't write nearly as often as much as I should. But, but when you do, it's awesome. There. Yeah. It's not fluff. Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, of course. And then uh, website is really simple, www.drex.io. Uh, you can always email me at drex at drex.io. I'm pretty good about responding. Follow me on Twitter at Drex to Ford. I'm no Donald Trump, but <laughs> I do tweet about some uh, pretty cool stuff from time to time. And like I said, I'm very promiscuous on LinkedIn. So I get a kick out of hearing what everybody's working on. And closing thought, that's a good one. I think I'll talk about this probably as a personal thing, but right, if you do the right thing, if you have integrity, that's probably... To me, the most important personal trait to have. In the end, if, if you, I think in the end, you only have your reputation and that really is your, your integrity. And, you know, for everybody listening to this, you were raised right. You know the right thing to do. And if you're in turmoil about it because you feel like something that you're going through is a gray area, you know, ask your mentor or ask somebody you admire. They can help you with it. So if you start with integrity as an anchor, then everything you do will make sense and it'll feel right and it'll seem to fit, and it'll be consistent. And so do the right thing. That'd be, that would be my, my final word. I love it, Drex. Thank you so much for sharing that, and uh, really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show with us. Spent the, some really great time talking about some valuable things, and I know the listeners are going to get a lot out of it, so really appreciate your time. Oh, my pleasure. Keep up the great job with the podcast. I mean, you, you are, uh, you're interviewing some really cool and interesting people. I love that you do the show notes. 
it's really easy to get to and, and listen to. And, you know, when you're driving in your car or whatever, it's really a great tool. You're doing a good service. And uh, so, you know, speaking for me, but I think probably for a lot of your listeners, thanks. This, is, this has been great. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.